This is Live Well Talk on New Cl- Clinician Spotlight. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unipoint Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Well, this is another installment of a podcast where we get to know new uh, clinicians that are coming into our community. And today joining me is David Krupp. Uh, he is a physician at Unipoint Clinic Family Medicine out of Westdale. Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you having me yeah. today. Yeah, and we were talking before, you, you've been on some podcasts, so we're going to get to that. Yeah, but that's... let's start off, where, where are you from? I'm from the St. Louis area on the Illinois side originally okay. and trained in Illinois or med school and then came to Iowa for residency back in 98 and lived down in the North Liberty area the majority of the time and then been practicing up here now since January. How do you like it? Oh, outstanding. Unity Point is really a tremendous organization. They have awareness of the physician's uh, challenges we face and the joys we face and help support that. And the transition to family medicine has been incredible for me. Really? You yeah. enjoy that? Yes. You like getting the people, like the variety? and Indeed. You know, my, my training was initially in family medicine, residency train boarded, and then happened to switch into full-time emergency medicine down south uh, in Iowa City. And so I did that for 20 years and then decided to transition back to family medicine. What, what got you to do that? Uh, it's always a goal of mine to go back to it. I okay. really care uh, with con- I really care for patients a great deal. And continuity is really incredible to have. You had that in the emergency department to a certain degree, but different patients, yeah, you know, in yeah. different situations. So it's been really great to get to know patients and work with them to help them achieve their goals. You remember back like when you're a resident and you're, you're moonlighting ER? And you like think you're the world's best doctor because everybody gets better because you mm. never see them back, right? <laughs> you know, you're there on a Saturday, like, ah, oh, ah, Zithromax, you know, and yes. yeah, you'll be fine. And, oh, yeah. You or know, wishful thinking. Yeah, that they yeah, will. yeah, yeah. But then, you, like, you get in a practice and like they're calling you two days later, going, "I'm not any better. What's going on here?" Mm-hmm. You know. So yes, anyway, I, I remember those days. That was that was fun. Yeah. So so you, you did your residency and family practice. Yes. Okay. And then, and then went straight to the ER then, right? Yeah. It happened to be that there was a job open at the time and I had three kids while I was in med school and residency. So I was moonlighting quite a bit just so I could pay for diapers. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, started realizing I enjoy that aspect at the time, a little bit more of adrenaline junkie and enjoy fixing. And so you did the the emergency medicine 20 years, about a hundred thousand patients over those years. And uh, although it's been a great transition, really glad I have the insight in, as to how things can go quite bad and seeing that kind of the, the trail of what happened prior to them coming to the emergency department and now applying those to help prevent them. This sounds uh, kind of uh, uh, inside baseball a little bit, but I think I think that exposure to critically ill patients you know what critically ill is. Mm-hmm. You know what happens up until that point mm-hmm. and what can happen if you don't recognize it. I think it just makes you a better clinician. Indeed. You know, you you, you, you walk in the room and you have that sense that, okay, this this guy is sick. Yes. Or, no, I, you know, we, we have time here. You know? Yes. And that's, yeah, that's, that is, that's a skill that, you know, the residents and the A&Ps that have gone to school ask how you get, the, it's just time. Mm-hmm. You just got to show up and pay attention. Yes. You know, yes. so. Um, now you're kind of innovative. You have some interest in it and you've, tell us about that invention that, that, that you have patented. Yes. Uh, so for a while in the emergency department, it was told me just to harm children psychologically because so many things we have to do create emotional trauma to a degree that so you try and mitigate that the best of your ability. But one of the issues was placing staples in kids' heads and adults just seemed wrong. And there was a method that came out of Singapore originally, a hair apposition technique, just to crisscross the hair. And so I was doing a manual version, realized, oh, I'd like to have a tool. And so started creating a tool, worked with 
uh, entrepreneurial center up here and worked with um, some developers down in Iowa City and created this tool over time to crisscross the hair and close it with adhesives, uh, tissue adhesives. So no follow-up, no risk for accidental needle sticks, no injections, and profound cost savings to society if we, we incorporate this, as well as decreased emotional trauma to children and adults. Nobody wants yeah, staples oh, in their head. Yeah, yeah. that's it's yeah. no fun. Yes. Um, and uh, it, it uh, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that until you, you mentioned that before we started the podcast. And that, that just totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it just totally makes sense. Indeed. We, as hospitalists, we often, you know, it's the person that falls in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. just needs some staples. And so we do see that occasionally. And so it's good, something to think about, you know, the next time that happens. Yes. Um, what, do you have any, like, interest in medicine? Uh, I am very much attuned to mind-body medicine and, and attend to the psyche quite a bit in helping people achieve their wellness goals. Just realize that just the medicine, Western medicine alone, will not help us achieve the goals we want to achieve. When you understand the concept of concordance versus compliance, where you work with a patient, work, create this space between you, this us, to help them achieve their goals much more likely to help them in their wellness and starting to see this benefit by taking this approach to, to numerous patients. And um, so probably the psychosocial aspect associated with medicine in conjunction with adult medicine more than Pete's just gives me more opportunity to apply these concepts to chronic disease or other health issues. You know, I, I, I often say that there's two types of patients. Hmm. There's ones that want a paternal relationship with mm-hmm. their physician there's others that want a fraternal. Mm-hmm. And I think good clinicians, and it sounds like you're one of them, mm-hmm. is able to pick up on that. Yes. Because then you connect with the patient. Yes. If you have a patient that wants that fraternal mutual relationship, joint decision making, and you come into it paternally, mm-hmm. going to turn them off. Yes. You know, and then the patient that wants that paternal, um, just like, what, what, tell me what to do. You know, I don't, I don't want, you know, uh, those are great patients to take care of, but you, you have to kind of switch your, mm-hmm. your, your model of interaction depending on who's in front of you. Indeed. And I, I think, uh, that's, uh, that's a skill to pick up and some people are really good at it. Other people spend their whole medical career and they never master that. Mm-hmm. I think they struggle. I really do. You know, yes. I really do. Nice. Um, so back in the COVID pandemic, which we're still in, um, to, to a degree. I mean, things are much better, but uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but we uh, are single-digit COVID numbers, not critically ill, but we're 99% capacity this morning. It's just mm. this tsunami of chronic medical disease that I think, this is my theory, and I'm, and I'm not the only one, that it was that hiatus of healthcare that we had mm-hmm. you know, in that time. Yes, And I think it was primary care or general internal medicine, it, we're not like surgeons, you know, okay, you have something broken, they sew it together, they can watch you walk away healthy, right? Yes. You know, but for us, it, it, it's only when things don't go well that we see our work, right? You know, if you, if you take treat a patient for primary prevention for stroke and heart attack, and they don't have a stroke and heart attack, it's not really recognized, but you know, you feel like mm. terrible when they have a stroke or heart attack, right? Yes. And so... In a way, I think this hiatus, this sounds kind of uh, odd, but I think it just affirms to me that primary care is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not so sure telehealth is the answer. I, I don't know yet. I'm mm-hmm. still out on that. What's your opinion on telehealth? 
I think there's a role for it. Yeah. it can, uh, I think for convenience, sometimes patients can want to overutilize it uh, to a degree. Um, although it's better to have some than none. And so I, I think it's an important part and moving forward will be an important part. But without having that physical touch to be in there uh, and get picking up on some of the nuances of their movements, uh, you pick up on the physical exam, I think that conditions can be missed. And I don't think we attend to health as well. So I definitely prefer uh, inpatient care, um, in-person care, although see it as a, a lesser secondary alternative, but uh, fills a gap yeah. compared to not presenting at all. That yeah. That's true. It's yes. better than nothing. Isn't yes. It? You know, and um, I think we're going to see a greater degree of uh, teleconsults with some of our, here in Iowa, particularly rural health care, some of our uh, stress specialties, neurology, mm. psychiatry. You've probably seen that in the ER. You know, it's just, yes. there's, not, there's not very many psychiatrists that take care of inpatients. Yes. And, uh, just for our listeners and for your information, we are, I think we're four beds shy of being the biggest psych psychiatric care provider in the state. Mm. I think one of the state hospitals, the old ones, are mm. ahead of us by a couple of beds. So yes. it, it's a big part of our service line, and we just know how difficult it is. Yes. So, but back to the pandemic, you did you you had a, some uh, leadership in this uh, COVID mask mm. uh, friendly uh, situations. Tell us mm. a bit about that. Well, at the time I was working in the emergency department and I started noticing that sometimes it was more of the secondary COVID fallout, the individuals who were struggling with you know, developing alcoholism or other medical conditions worsening because they weren't attending to it and numerous other uh, impacts upon society. And so myself and another um, it was a pharmacist down in Iowa City, we put together this mask of wellness and it was a positive empowered, positive empowered method to help COVID conscious businesses have some um, methods to help draw in those with COVID concerns so businesses can continue to thrive. There wasn't the impact upon the community to allow some continued function. So uh, made it, it was a community wellness effort, um, nonprofit situation, just to help COVID conscious businesses and those with COVID fear connect together so society can continue to function. So there wasn't as much secondary COVID fallout. In the process, it worked really well. There were several communities that switched to this mask of wellness approach. Their businesses started thriving. Their community thrived much sooner than those that had a lot of fear and just shut down at the time. So it was something we were rather proud of at the time just to help businesses and probably about 500 businesses in the process um, and individuals and just give them hope and a method for change. Yeah, uh, there was uh, there was so many unknowns back then, mm -hmm. you know, and... I guess I, I just hope that as healthcare and public health, we have the maturity to look at the mistakes we made and learn from them. Yes. You know, um, I said, you know, I was never upset at mistakes that were made because I said, well, this is everybody's first pandemic, right? <laughs> yes. You know, if it's like your third pandemic and you're still making mistakes, it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> get in the relief picture at that time. So <laughs> what, what do you, you, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pay a compliment there. I think that's really cool that you understand the doctor patient relationship, but you also understand the medical physician community relationship. And I, I think that's going to uh, be a tremendous benefit out to my friends out there in Westdale. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, what do you do for fun? Oh, um, right now, uh, I recently became an empty nester. So initially it was hanging with family and my dog, um, my wife and I like biking, kayaking, 
Um, at times I'll go on trips with my friend and go surfing, um, different rock climbing. And so a little potpourri of different activities. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Enjoying surfing from, uh, East St. Louis area, right? You know I mean? Yes. Not a lot of beaches there, is it? Yeah. You have to do, uh, we travel to Nicaragua, Costa Rica and other places just oh, wow. to kind of wow. have some unique waves and have fun. It's something I'm trying to be a little bit wiser now as I, Sustained a, a neck injury in jujitsu, um, and so almost became paralyzed with that about oh, five years ago or so. So emergency surgery. So I'm trying to slow down, and they decided not to snow ski anymore, and uh, a few other things to try and protect my neck. Yeah. yeah. So wow, that's wow. Yeah. You, you don't see very many jujitsu injuries because I don't really know anyone other than you that has ever done jujitsu. So that's, yeah. uh, that is interesting. That I think in conjunction with falling off a cliff, rock climbing, getting hella backed out and a, a head injury and probably neck injury are probably compounded with all the other uh, activities in life that have <laughs> caused some harm. Well, you know, what's, what's the saying? Uh, St. Peter doesn't look for medals. He looks for scars, you know, whatever that <laughs> colloquialism is. I have plenty of them. Yeah. yeah. Now you said you're an empty nester. So, yes. and you mentioned three children earlier. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that your family there? You yes, want to tell us about that? I have three boys, uh, 25, 23, 21, um, and married for since 94 now. Um, and, and a dog. And a dog. Yes. What kind of dog? Uh, chocolate lab. Oh, those the labs are just beautiful yeah. dogs. And they are. We have, uh, a Pushan that's like 10 pounds and we have a Bernadoodle that's like almost a hundred pounds. And so it's quite the dichotomy <laughs> in our home. Yes. Um, so, well, you know, Dave, I really enjoyed getting to know you. Uh, I'm excited for you. I just, I like, I like your approach. Uh, and, uh, I wish you all the luck out there with our, the, the high quality physicians that are out there at Westdale. Uh, I have some friends that practice out there and they're just, they're good. They're yeah, really good. Really a great place yeah, to be. It really is. Uh, and it's a great facility, you know, and so one of our Maybe our newest clinic, other than what we're doing out on Tower Terrace. That will obviously be the newer one. So, mm-hmm. once again, that was Dr. David Krupp, family medicine physician at Union Point uh, Clinic, Family Medicine Westdale. If you're interested in scheduling an appointment with D- Dr. Krupp, Dr. Dave, uh, as he uh, likes to refer to himself, call Union Point Clinic, Family Medicine Westdale at 319 368 8400 or visit unipoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk on. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.